0: I'm Amanda Farmer, and I have with me today Rena Van Oust. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, we're recording this on a Friday. I have had a rather large week, and I'm looking forward to the weekend. How's yours been?
1: Yeah, very busy actually. I've had quite a few meetings and this week SCA had an industry association briefing on the new, probably it's like a Business Agents Act reforms that are coming in
0: next year. So it has been quite busy. Yeah, and that time of the year, hey, September, spring has sprung up on us. Yes, literally. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get stuck into it. What has been challenging you this week, Rena? Well, this is actually quite an unusual occurrence that's happened this week. I
1: actually had a conversation with one of my colleagues who told me that in a building that he manages, he was served with a notice from more than one third of the owners of that scheme who had signed a motion to stop the committee on making a decision on various motions that were on that agenda. Uh-huh. And I said, well, that's an unusual thing. I never. I know that that's in the Act. Mm. It's actually, for those that are listening, and I'm sure Amanda will include this in the transcript or on her notes, it's Schedule 2, Clause 9-3, mm-hmm. which says that decisions to have no effect if opposed by more than specified owners. A decision of the Strata Committee has no force or effect if, before the decision is made, notice is given to the Secretary of the Owners Corporation by one or more owners, some of whose unit entitlements exceed one third of the aggregate unit entitlement, mm. that the making of the decision is opposed by those owners. Mm. And for my colleague, he actually was at the meeting and he was served with the notice, so he didn't actually know whether or not that there actually was one third. He didn't have the strata roll with him, which mm. is, of course, you don't take the strata roll to a committee meeting. He also didn't know whether the people that had signed the petition, were like, if there was two owners that both owners had signed, etc. So mm. in a sense, he had to take the um, cautious route, and therefore he decided that he would accept the notice as being valid, and therefore the committee was restrained from making a decision. Mm. So then yesterday <laughs> <laughs> I had a committee meeting in writing for one of the schemes that we managed and next minute, um, an hour before that meeting um, was to take place, an owner served the same notice on the owners' corporation To stop the owners' corporation actually making a decision, so Mm. that was quite a challenge. And I thought, wow, it's funny. I don't think in all the years that I've been a strata manager that this has ever happened. I've had people calling an EGM, you know, twenty-five percent of your entitlement requisitioning a meeting Mm. to take certain powers away from the owners' corporation. But two examples in one week, I think, (laughs) the thing that's never happened before is really
0: unusual. That is unusual. And can I now add a third? I had a question from a member inside the YSP members only forum and- And part of that question went to precisely this point, how do we prevent the strata committee from making a decision about this particular issue which related to the recovery of a debt, which the majority of owners don't agree with, but the strata committee is going ahead and making this decision anyway. And I referred that member to Schedule 2, Clause 9, Subsection 3, of the Strata Schemes Management Act where they could, if they had one third unit entitlement, oppose the making of that decision. And I set out how to issue that notice. So it's a section that I I think, Rena, correct me if I'm wrong, has always been there. It was in the old act as well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. But I think there's another difference in the new act versus the old act, Amanda, was that previously
1: you couldn't be included in in the calculation if you weren't financial because you had to be entitled to vote. Whereas now... The Act specifically says that even if you're not financial, you can actually submit a motion or you can actually, in this case, um, you'd be able to sign a requisition because you are, it doesn't matter if you're uh. entitled to vote on your voice can still be heard. Whereas the previous Act, from memory, I think, meant that it says any owner who is entitled to vote, and obviously if you're unfinancial, you won't entitled. Whereas now specifically that there's a clause in this Act that says even if you're unfinancial, you still can mm. submit. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: it's a very powerful avenue for those uh, who don't agree with what their strata committee might be doing to utilise and to prevent decisions being made. But here's the thing, this section assumes that you have notice of what the strata committee is going to determine. And of course, you should have notice. How does it work these days, Rena? Small schemes, large schemes? Yeah, so small schemes, which are those that are less than 100 lots, they
1: actually don't have to have their agenda issued to all owners. Only if they have a notice board, that will suffice, putting it on the notice board. Mm -hmm. But for large schemes, which are more than 100 lots, if they have a notice board, it should be put up on the notice board and they also need to issue it to all owners by either email, if they've been given an email address for that purpose, or by post. But the interesting thing, Amanda, in this particular case is that this is a small scheme Mm -hmm. and some of the owners that that had actually signed the petition, if we hadn't emailed it to all the owners, because we think that it's good for all owners to receive agendas Mm. um, and minutes, so those non-resident owners also contributed by seeing the agenda and then they were able to make their voices heard. But I think that one of the issues I think when we come to this particular clause and, and obviously there has to be people rallying around getting people to sign a piece of paper. Sometimes I, I believe that if there is particular concerns, which may or may not be valid, sometimes other owners don't really know what's going on and they're just asked to sign a piece of paper and mm. they just sign it. So yeah. I think in some cases Depending on who the proponent is of, of the particular issue, whether it's a really hot topic or it's just in the case that I had, was just accepting a quotation. And it was not for an, a huge amount of money, but it mm. was more about the fact that this was for their particular lot. And therefore, the other owner just signing it, you know, is for, especially an owner that doesn't even live in the building and didn't know anything about the matter. And, yeah. and in fact, a year ago, it had supported the whole renovation of the building so Mm. yeah we'll see what happens with that one but I just think that it's a very good tool and I think it's you know sometimes when committees are going off track or perhaps yeah listening to what the owners want but then sometimes it can be used um, when people have an agenda and they you know and and it may not be an, an issue that the other owners are really concerned about but sometimes people are swayed to sign a piece of paper that really they don't
0: really understand what the repercussions are. or mm. So lots in there for owners to be aware of, for committee members to be aware of, and strata managers. As you said uh, at the beginning there, arena, the example of your colleague who was faced with one of these just before a committee meeting, he didn't usually have his strata roll with him. He wasn't sure if the one-third unit entitlement had been reached with this opposition notice. So, you know, maybe there's a new best practice there to make sure you're, you're armed with that prior to a committee meeting in case you're with one of these notices and certainly as a manager to be aware of how this section works. Yeah. I
1: think perhaps some managers
0: may not have ever come across it. So... Mm, Yeah. There you go. Now, my challenge for this week. I was surprised recently by a piece of information I hadn't come across before. And I think it was Karen Stiles from the OCN who brought it to my attention. From the 1st of October and I appreciate by the time this goes to air, that was probably a few days ago, by the 1st of October, new legislation comes into effect and it is an amendment to the Environmental Planning and Assessment Act, but it affects strata schemes and it affects strata schemes in relation to their fire safety inspections. Now, what this new law is doing is requiring Fire safety assessments to be carried out by a competent fire safety practitioner. And it is the responsibility of the building to ensure that their fire safety inspection is carried out by a competent fire safety practitioner. There's a little bit of a problem here, at least at the time we're recording this podcast. There is no accreditation framework, so to speak, to actually qualify or accredit individuals as competent fire safety practitioners. So, of course, it begs the question, how is a building supposed to know who is a competent fire safety practitioner? Rena, have you heard about this? Is the alarm that's arising from this legitimate? It's hard to really know,
1: Amanda, because, as you said, it's only coming out now on the first of October, and um, I've seen a copy of the amendment of the Environmental Planning Assessment Regulation, uh-huh. and it says here it's a new clause one sixty seven A. It says competent fire safety practitioners. Mm-hmm. And it says a secretary may, by order published in the Gazette, recognize a class of persons as competent fire safety practitioners for the purposes of one or more provisions in the regulation. It says without limiting the classes of persons who may be recognized, they may include, it says, A, a class of persons holding a specified category of certificate of accreditation under the Billing Professionals Act 2005 mm-hmm. or having that and having some characteristic or qualification or a class of persons who have undergone particular training assessment carried out by a specified professional body or a body Mm -hmm. of an industry. Yeah, so I think there's a fire protection association, I think may be recognised as one of those bodies that people could be accredited
0: by. So, mm. so it sounds like in the enacting legislation, there is some steps there for mm. how you might determine someone is a competent fire safety practitioner. I think I heard you say there, Arena, that It could be published in the Gazette as to how people are recognised. I think from the information I've seen, that's what we're waiting for, is um, our more readable, if you like, a bit more readable than the amending legislation checklist for who we as buildings and as managers and, and sector professionals might be able to engage to meet this requirement that we have a competent fire safety professional. But I have to say it's frustrating that the legislation comes into force at a time when we don't have that framework, if you like, of accreditation set up and we're receiving information. Uh, I've got a few emails in my inbox just this afternoon about this and saying, look, the legislation's starting but the accreditation framework is soon to follow. I don't really understand why that isn't important place as of the start date of the legislation. It would just make it a little bit easier for buildings to feel secure that they're complying with the law.
1: I actually feel quite happy that this is actually becoming recognised because Mm. there are so many people that work in the fire safety area and have no real idea about what actually the EPA says and what the BCA guidelines mean in a sense there's no qualification needed so anyone can up till probably now can open a company and say that they're a fire safety contractor do the testing and you wouldn't even know Amanda whether or not they're doing it correctly or not because there's no qualification or licensing like there are for any other types of trades where you're licensed under a certain regime or act or or a criteria or standard whereas with this fire safety thing I mean I've a lot of the times I've had the experience where you know you can't get access to every single apartment and the fire safety contractor says I oh, know we will issue the AFSS, which is the annual fire safety statement, sorry to abbreviate for those that don't know what I'm talking about. And then I said, but you haven't got into every apartment. Oh, it's 80% that we have to get into. And I mm. said, well, where does it say that? Like, you know, yeah. you know, take me to the section of the act that says, you know, that it's only 80%. And yes. they said, oh, so one of them went, went away and came like, oh, no, and this is from our, our association that said that. And I think, well, if there's a fire and it was in that 20% that wasn't tested, I don't yeah. know how your insurance is going to cover that when, you know, the insurer starts to go through all the records and ask the fire so they to for all their testing records and which for smoke alarm or fire alarm they were testing. and mm. So it's a really good positive step in the direction of, especially with fire safety now with the whole cladding issue that's now emerged for mm. strata managers to deal with is a very good step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, look, I agree. Something has to be done. Um, for too long now, buildings have been uncertain as to who is qualified to do this work, and the law has. It's not just the buildings that are uncertain; it's the law that just hasn't been there. To point us in the right direction so hopefully that's where we're heading we make our way as best we can and stumble along and you know fingers crossed that they get ironed out but we'll continue to update everybody here on the podcast as we like to do and I do have even just this afternoon I've got in my inbox here a building fire safety regulation fact sheet from the New South Wales Department of Planning and Environment and I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes that's got quite a bit more detail there if you're interested in that new legislation Okay, Rena, share your win for this week, please, will you?
1: I'd like to just mention the upcoming Women in Real Estate conference that's yes. on the 20th of November, which um, I'm attending and I went last year and it was a great conference. Mm. And also, Amanda, you're one of the speakers at that <laughs> conference, so I just want <laughs> to that to our listeners. For anyone that's thinking of perhaps going, um, you can register before the end of this month yep.
0: to get the early bird rate. Can I just jump in there, Rena? only because I was on Facebook just this afternoon and we have a, a Your Strata Property page on Facebook, which I was checking on. And I also went to the women, there's a women in real estate Facebook page. And the, the post I was confronted with was a very large picture of my own head. <laughs> <laughs> and they sort of, oh, she looks familiar. Oh, wow. And, and it was an advertisement from Women in Real Estate advertising, come and hear from Amanda Farmer at the Women in Real Estate conference. And I went, oh, wow, how long has that been up there? They're very good promoters, let me say. Yeah. Uh, the REI and Women in Real Estate. And it is a very large conference. Uh, I think they get a turnout of about 500 women. And, yes, I too went last year, Rena, and it was just fabulous. And I'm honoured yeah. to be invited to go and, and speak there. And I'll I'll put a link to the registration page on our show notes there for any listeners who want to um, come and have a chat with me wonderful. Yeah, I think I'm looking forward to it, Amanda. This year, it's actually at a different venue. It is, it's the yep. Australian
1: Technology Park, mm-hmm. so that would be quite a good place to go for the first time.
0: Yeah, what they're actually doing, it's a different uh, format as well. They're not doing uh, long keynotes. They're doing a series of short 20-minute, I've been told, 20-minute presentations, more like TED Talks. And oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's really exciting, and um, we've been given a lot of flexibility in terms of what we want to talk about, so soon we'll be advertising what my topic of the day will be, but I'm really looking forward to delivering in that format to all those women. It's wonderful. And my win for this week, I am uh, still, I'm not going to say recovering, I'm going to say I am still uh, having fond memories of the Griffith University Conference, which I attended in Surface Paradise uh, at the time of recording this. It was just last week that I was back. A fabulous conference that happens every two years uh, up there this year put on by Dr. Sasha Reed for the first time. She's taken over the organising of the conference and I have to say she did an absolutely fabulous job. Lots of academics uh, speaking at the conference, giving us a different view to what you might usually get at industry conferences as to what's happening. We, we hear more from the social side, the research side, people who are in living in multi-owned properties, as the academics like to call it. They've done a lot of survey work and asking people what the pressing issues are for them. And it's great for us as sector stakeholders to get that on the ground insight. And, you know, a three-day conference is full on. It's a lot of time to take out of your business, but but Griffith University has a fabulous reputation for that conference in particular and what they do and it was definitely well worth it, well worth catching up with everyone and getting that good content. And I did present there as well and I did uh, record that content and I'm hoping to be able to bring some of that to you on the podcast.
1: That's wonderful, Manny. I've been, I know it's on every two years, that particular conference, and I've been going to it every two years until this year because I just had so much on at the moment. I just couldn't find make that time. So I'm looking forward to making sure I go in two years' time.
0: Yeah, it is, it's hard to make the time, especially when you're growing as fast as you are, Rena. And Strata, it's full on. It is full on definitely is all right well enjoy another full-on week okay (laughs) and i shall catch you next time thanks amanda bye thanks thank you for listening to your strata property the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property